Hi everyone, this is Enzo. Welcome to episode 29 of the Race Driver Coach Show and today we're going to do things a little bit different. I usually, when we do these episodes, it's usually based around one question and we give that answer. But today, I want to hit four. The reason I want to hit four is because this is the last show or the last episode of the year. Because we're testing so much over the winter period, all through December, we've got four days off. And in them four days, we've got to move the office. So there's no time. This is all going to be packed up straight away after filming this. These things are going to be flat packed and shipped off to move office. So this is the last one from here and from the year. So I wanted to make this a little bit more special than others by giving you more quality, more content, a bit of a variety of questions. But they are questions that I've had all year and they've been in the pipeline. I thought I've got to answer these before the year's out. So that's what I'm going to do. So I'm going to answer them in quick succession. I'm not even going to say what name sent them in because they're, they're questions that have been asked by people lots of times. So I want to hit them now. Are you ready for this? Here we go. Question number one. Hi Enzo, I want to start racing but I can't because I live in a country that has no motorsport. Can you give me some advice? Move! Now, that's the obvious answer, right? If you want to be in a sector, in an industry that isn't in your country, then you go to where it is. I just want to stop the video there, I really do, <laughs> because that is the answer. Now, if I wanted to be a Hollywood star, right, I wanted to work in Hollywood, and I was asked to ask you, say if I lived in Madagascar and I, I wanted to be a Hollywood star, I would say, can you give me some advice? You would say, get your ass to Hollywood. So I'm going to say the same to yourself. Anyone who's asking this, who's thinking, oh, I'm in a different country and there's no motorsport, but I want to be in motorsport, then you've got to go to where motorsport is. If you can't really afford racing, then can you work within the industry? Ah, now this is what grates me. Just, just reminding myself there. If you want to be this famous race driver, a superstar, going all the way to the top, getting paid to be a race driver, and that's your dream, yet you're not prepared to move to another country to go for it, to follow your dream. You just want to stay at home, start small, or get immediate results. So someone invites you over to Europe or to the US or whatever, wherever, to start this career, then you're not gonna make it in motorsport. You, If you've got hardly any money, you've got a big dream, a big heart that wants to achieve that dream, but you haven't got the money and you're not in the right area, what do you do? Then you start to work in motorsport, maybe. You've got to play the long game. You've got to be prepared to put five years in, and at the end of that fifth year, you get your first year of racing. Are you prepared to do that? Because a lot of drivers are not. They just want it now. They just say, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to aim for an F4. I'm going to aim for this championship, that championship. It's going to cost me 200 grand. I've only got about three grand to it at the moment, but I still think I can do it. Yet they've got no plan. So what happens is they get to the January, February, and March, they still can't afford it, and they spend another year not racing, just wishing. There's so many drivers out there that do this, and it gets me so riled because you've just got, you're not, you've been so impatient, and you're being too glamorous about it. To get on the motorsport, I mean, you're looking now, this person that is talking is someone who had no education, got to 17, still no race experience. I was just a chav hanging out at McDonald's, right? with my car that was it i had no i wasn't a very decent person in society should we say yeah i still made it happen how did i do it 
I sold everything I've got, got together about three grand, got a bank loan, which I don't suggest you do, but I did. I worked my ass off as a mechanic, as a race instructor, worked in a factory, delivered pizzas, gathered up all the money again, got loads of favours from people, got lots of sponsorship on the car, people were giving me stuff like tyres, exhaust, brakes, fuel, anything I could to cut the cost. Bought the car myself, sold it at the end of the year, by the way, bought the car. So everything was a graft. It took two years to get this going. Actually, I got my license in 94 and didn't race till 97. So it took that long to get going, right? The dream was in here. The long game. There's so many drivers out there that want it now and it's like, oh, it's too much hard work. Yeah, but if I work at this cart circuit, that's not going to really make me a driver. No, but all these little bits, they add up. If you get a job at a race circuit as an instructor or even just strapping people into single seaters or a cart circuit, you're in the industry. And when you're in the industry, things start to happen. You start to work things out. You see how other people are doing. You start to make contacts. You're in there. You've got the long game, but you've got to do so many things to get to that end result that you want. But there's nobody prepared to do it. So they use the fact that they're in a different country as an excuse. When I see so many people coming to England and coming to Europe and America and Australia, wherever it is, in Asia, wherever the bases are of motorsport, and they're not from there, they've just had to come over. They just stayed on someone's couch for a month or two and then in, in someone else's spare room just to make ends meet so they can be in the industry, be close to the industry, make contacts and get in there. There's not, there's not enough of you doing this. You're too, you're too precious about how much you'll actually pull on the line for it. You really want this, you tell me you really want it, but you're not prepared to work for it. And that's what really gets on my nerves. So I just want to say now, I mean, you, you know, you may be too young to move to a different country. That's fine. But maybe there's some kind of student exchange or you can go and study in that country that's got great motorsport. And whilst you're there, you start to make contacts. There's always a way. There's always a way to get close to your dream. And this reminds me of good old Andy Prio. This chap, right? He was in Guernsey which is just an island south of England, and he had a motorsport dream. He wanted to get to F1. And all he'd done was hill climb. So you get this single seater and you go up and you do a sprint one by one and it's a timed event, right? Hill climb, look it up. That's all he'd done up to then. But he wanted to be a circuit racer. He wanted to be an F1. So what he, was, he, had a, he had a family in Guernsey, he had a fiance in Guernsey. He left it all. Obviously, the fiancé waited for him, but he left it all. He did a deal, got a car, dusted off his car, did a deal with someone to get a caravan, strapped it on the back, drove to England with his destination Silverstone in his mind, with just a map, didn't have sat now for them days, just a map, drove there, eventually got to Silverstone, cutting a very long story short, got to Silverstone, did another deal, because he was brilliant at doing deals with people, which I spoke about before. If you want a career in motorsport, you've got to be a salesperson. You've got to know how to do deals. That's how you get to the top, with money or without money. But he did another deal with somebody and stayed in the workshop uh, yard next to the oil drums. And he stayed there, lived there in the caravan as he chased his dream. He worked at Silverstone as an instructor, back there on his own, away from his family, trying to make his dream come true. He went all the way, F3 raised all the money himself. And it was no easier back then, believe me, it's exactly the same as, as difficult as it is now. He, he raised the money to do that, he got into touring cars, won the world championship, and he, he became William's tester driver, F1 test driver, so he got to F1. He made a career, 
but that's just showing you. And people just look at him and just see him as a normal driver, like a lot of them, but you don't realize how hard some of these had to work to get to that level. You just want it now. But it's such a lot, it's like anything in life. If you want it, you've got to be prepared that the first five, 10 years, you're not going to get much happening. You're going to put so much in, but nothing, not much love is going to come back. And if you're not prepared for that, then don't enter into racing if you haven't got the finance. Even if you have got the finance, it's still bloody hard. But if you have, or if you haven't, should I say, you've got to be prepared for it. So anyone who says, I can't do it because this, slight discomfort, and I'm not sure what will happen, it's too much of a risk, just ask yourself, how much do I really want this? Okay, question two, Enzo, left foot braking or right foot braking? Now, with left foot and right foot, I'm back from the 90s, so I did most of mine on right, apart from the end of the um, career when I started to do left foot braking, just, just because the car would let me and I got used to it and I preferred it. But that's, in essence, the answer to this. Now, left foot and right foot is in two halves. One, it's what the driver prefers. If you prefer to brake with your right foot because it gives you more feel, it's more gentle to the car, because remember, when you're doing left foot, it's either 100% throttle or bam, usually, when you're doing left. And it's a little bit more difficult to feather it in. It takes more training. So if you're not really comfortable with that and you can never really get your head around it, then in, most, in a lot of cars, right foot braking will be okay. It's not a problem. You can do it. Okay, on the data, you'll see a little bit more of a gap between where the accelerator comes off and the brake comes on. But in essence, it doesn't matter. And some cars actually prefer it. They want you to right foot brake because they need that time when they're going down the straight accelerating to have that gentle transition. Like the Porsche, the Porsche Carrera Cup. Anyone who's a right foot breaker is fine. There's plenty of champions that have been right foot breakers. Even now, in 2017, leading drivers... Uh, that are right foot braking because the car likes it. It comes off and does this and it gives the car to re time to react. Then you go to like a GP NF2 or something that's a single seater, then I would say left foot braking. Just for the simple reason that you haven't really got any rolling time. It's either on or off for many of the cars. So you see even crossover on the data where you come off the throttle and back on it. So then you really need to get your left foot doing, um, working well. But there's a lot of people that can't. So if you're in single seaters, I would say always aim for left foot. But if you're in a car that needs a bit of transition and the gearbox is a bit delicate, so it doesn't really like to be crashed down, then you've got to go to right foot with heel and brake, uh, heel and toe. Now that's not really answering the question. For me, I like left foot. Um, it's just because it seems like you can balance the car a bit like in a cart. And if you get it down, you get used to it, you can really get a good lap time. But if you're a right foot breaker, there's not much difference. There's more difference in what you prefer. And if the car will allow it, because some actually don't allow you to move your foot from one pedal to the other, if your car will allow it, then just try both. See what works for you. But I'll tell you what, a lot of the time, when you need high brake pressure, really hard and a big spike on the initial brake, then left foot wins. It always wins because it does the stamp. You can't help it but stamp. You come off hard, you go on hard. So for them, single-seater driver's left foot. For anyone else, you can get away with right foot. It's just as quick. Enzo, can you tell me the first step to getting sponsorship? That's a big one. I'd say the first step is buy and get the drive and sort it out. <laughs> because there's eight ways of getting drives there, not just sponsorship. But let's cut down on the plug-in. Um, I would say change your identity as a race driver you want sponsorship in order to race 
The problem is, is you're seeing it from a racing driver's eyes. Now a race driver, right, when they want sponsorship, normally they'll say, right, to a race team, how much will it cost? And the race team will go, 300 grand. So the, the driver goes to sponsors, only 300 grand. They're not thinking of the activation and all, and kicking it in, trying to get this sponsorship to work. They're just thinking, I need that cash to race. And I'll just put your sticker on the car, it'll be fine. Yeah, you can come to the races, whatever, but I just need to race. That's how a race driver thinks, because all they care about is on track. But if you want to get sponsorship for yourself, you've got to take that hat off and put a different one on. An entrepreneur's race, uh, an entrepreneur's hat, a race entrepreneur. You've got to see your championship, your brand, your resume, everything as a sales pitch. Is how is that valuable? Or what can I take from here, this package, what's valuable, and sell it to somebody? So if you're in a championship that's on TV, it's got many spectators, the branding is everywhere, there's loads of companies involved, it's really easy to sell, well, compared to other championships, easier to sell, because you've got so many benefits that are obvious. They can even get free car parking, they can get hospitality, because it's all part of the team, the big team that we're with. And you can offer them, them put a price tag on it, and you get out there and you sell it. Again, you are the entrepreneur, not the race driver yet. You're just selling marketing or product placement or awareness through sport. You just happen to be the driver. That, I would say, is the first step. There's two parts to it. First, it's just change the way you're seeing the sport. See it from a company's point of view, the person that's going to be buying into this. See it from theirs and say, okay, how can this work for me? What are all the benefits that I can take from this and that will help me sell products. This is from the company's point of view. Help me sell products and help me get awareness, which is basically get more money in my pocket. So if I give this driver, this entrepreneur, this racing entrepreneur, X amount of money, I know that I'm gonna have return on investment because that's gonna give me X. Even if it's incentives for new customers or incentives for current ones or the staff or clients they've got. So you've gotta think about it on a business keel it's like how can we do this how can i break it down into chunks now that they're only paying 20 grand each but the value they're getting is actually 30 that's an easy sell easier sell how can i do that and then if you're in a small championship if you're like literally just starting you're thinking how oh, how do i even start i've only got about 500 on me 500 dollars euros pounds whatever on me how can i start racing enzo then the first step is to bloody get your goals down. There's no point aiming for a big championship if you've never raced before, because even if you did get the sponsorship, you're probably going to suck for the first year, trying to get your head around it. And then it's too much pressure and you lose face in the sport, you do your image worse than good, and it all goes to toffee. So I don't want you to do that. I want you to start, like I've always said, start small, get somewhere that you can afford. Like I explained in the first question about just eking your way through the first year in a championship that's not fancy, a championship that's actually invisible, but you can start to get your skills up, start to make contacts within the sport. So that's how I'd approach it. I'd approach it from I've got to get the money in somehow, beg, borrow, steal, and just scrape my way through, live in someone's back garden again, scrape my way through the year. And through that actual season, I'm going to make so many contacts, I'm going to put sponsors on the car for free, so I can get some products or free, completely free, just to start the relationship and say, this is how it can work. This is the good time I'm going to show you. And even though it's a tiny good time, local companies might be interested in it, local to that circuit. So I would say, just take yourself back from the situation. Don't be a race driver for a moment and have a look and say, okay, 
What's best bang for its buck championship wise? Excuse me. Best bang for its buck championship wise, I've got some benefits, I can sell for a great price, I can make good contacts, I can maybe get the person, the sponsor, to purchase the race car, so they own the race car themselves. All this stuff I've said before, but you've got to see it from this angle in order to get that. And people overlook this. They think, oh, that's such a simple piece of advice, but it's, it's vital. Because if, again, you're seeing it through this letterbox of your helmet, and you're seeing it in that way and what you need to race, you'll never do it. You've got to become a business person and speak the language of business people if you want to extract their money. You've got to say, who has my money right now? Business people. Okay, how can I translate this sport in a way that will allow me to access some of their cash because they're going to pay me because they want to get into this sport? No matter how small that person is, even if it's products, even if it's services they can offer you, it might just be a fitness trainer. But that's again another person who will sponsor you with service and you'll give them some social media awareness. Maybe you'll get them some drivers as clients. And then you build a relationship. You never know who that fitness trainer knows. They might train somebody who is a business owner. This is what it takes. This is why it's so difficult sponsorship because you've got to prod so many areas and then it opens doors that you never even realized. So you've got to get the accountant, get the PR company to offer you their services. You give them brand awareness and maybe you go and find them clients and they give you the services so then you can just get on with racing and then they put in contact with their clients because maybe they'd like it. So it's, it's got to think outside the box. A racing driver can't do that. A racing driver goes around corners and overtakes and does qualifying laps. A business person looks at something and says, how can I get money for this? That's where you've got to come from. First step of getting sponsorship, change your identity. And question number four, and we've had this before, am I too old for racing, to make it in racing? Look, now you know I did a whole episode on this, but I still get asked it a lot by people, and they're stressing. They're stressing out because they're thinking, oh, I really want to achieve this in, in, in my motorsport career, but I think I'm too old. It's like, look, dudes, dudettes, you've got to sit in a seat, you've got to push them pedals, you've got to steer it. And that is not really the success that you're going to have in that car is not really age related. Okay, if you want to follow the trend and say, I've got to be an F1 by the time I'm 18 so I can break records and be the best ever, then yeah, you're probably too old to do that. But everyone's different. Each case is different. There's people that have got to motorsports at the very heights of motorsport and they've been in their mid-30s. They were nowhere for like 10, 15 years. It took them ages. They were probably doing another sport, like BMXing or something. But they eventually got their work, their way in. And because their speed is there and they've got the right character, that's another thing, personality that the team likes and they want to help that driver or give that driver a chance or they know that driver fits with their sponsors because of their personality and they're fast. It doesn't matter if they've got seven years on anyone else, on everyone else. In fact, some sponsors prefer it. There are some sponsors out there that require a driver to be over a certain age. Williams at the moment have got that. So no, I wouldn't say you're too old. But now if you're, making, if you're setting up the game, that's what it's all about. If you're setting up the game saying I must be in F1 or I must be in IndyCar or whatever by this age and I must have this career, but you're past that age, then yeah, for that game, you've missed it. It's, too, it's tough, man. You've missed it. But, but if you say, okay, I want to be a race driver. I just want to be a professional race driver. I want to race for a living and make that all I do. Then you've got a lot of time. 
you can pretty much start at any age. I don't care what age you are, you can make it happen. And if you've had a business life for the last 20 years and you're starting to race now, you've made them contacts, it's probably going to be easier for you. You can be in touring cars very quickly if you've got the speed, remember. You need the speed as well. If you've got the speed, you can be in racing and then somebody may pay you. Sponsors may pay you more than what the drive costs and you take a cut from that. So no, if you want to be a race driver, you're not too old. If you want to set the game up so it's impossible to win and the age has already passed and you are. But let me just tell you, that is again another excuse. If you want to race, you can race at any age. You've just got to sort it out and get on with it. Stop using these petty excuses and worries about, oh, is this not perfect and that not perfect? Just get on with it. That's pretty much the best advice I can give you. There's no, the problem is drivers let fear. And I mean, fear of failure, fear of being judged, fear of being wrong in the, in the public, in the eyes of the public and all this. And they let them things sort of stop them. Don't worry about that. Just get on with it. If you think you're going to be too old for something, the more your time you're spending worrying about this, you're wasting time that you should be getting in that car. And before you know it, the year is gone. And then again, oh, I'm too old. You're just repeating the same old thing. No, you're not. Get on with it. Okay, that's it. That's it for this year, 2017 of the Race Driver Coach Show. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you for all the questions. And for everybody out there I don't speak to or see, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And we'll see you the other side in a different office. Maybe look the same to you, but a different office. And uh, we'll kick it off again. But I wish you all the success for the coming year and for all your sponsorship endeavours. And um, it's been a pleasure. Speak to you soon.